This morning's scripture text comes from Genesis chapter 22. We're reading the whole chapter. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here, here am I. And he said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering, and arose, and went to the place which God had told him. On the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes, and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship, and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father. And he said, Here am I, my son. He said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham brought the al- built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham lived in Beersheba. Now after these things it was told to Abraham, Behold, Milcah also has borne children to your brother Nahor, Uz his firstborn, Buz his brother, Kemuel the father of Aram, Kazd, Hazor, Pildash, Jidlaf, and Bethuel. Bethuel fathered Rebekah. These eight Milcah bore to Nahor, Abraham's brother. Moreover, his concubine, whose name was Rumah, bore Tibah, Gehem, Tidhash and Maka. This is the word of the Lord. Well, we're back in Genesis 22 today because uh, some things require a second pass through. 
I remember picking strawberries with my mom when I was a little kid and I would start on a row and get to the end of it 15 minutes later my four quart basket half full thinking that I had picked the plants clean but my mom was coming behind me in fact she was on the same row she hadn't moved from her initial spot at the beginning of the row and her basket is nearly full I didn't understand it I mean I understood some of it I had eaten half of my basket but but that's what scripture's like uh, it's ripe for the picking and one pass is just not going to be enough this is certainly true for Genesis chapter 22 uh, which I, th- I think you'll agree with me is one of the juiciest chapters in all of scripture As we said last week, this passage is a climax to the Abraham story. Uh, This focus on Abraham that began back in chapter 12 and is starting to wind down after this point. And uh, we'll conclude with his death in chapter 25. And then the spotlight is going to shift fully on Isaac briefly. And then Jacob for quite a while. And then Joseph but I don't want you to be misled by the proper names in the, in the subject headings of uh, your Bibles. Okay, because none of these that I've just mentioned are the main character to the story. Not one of them. The main character in this story, indeed in all of Scripture, is God. And uh, I think we can add safely to that the main character is the Lord Jesus Christ, his, his son. And you'll remember how Jesus, after his resurrection, was able to open the scriptures for two of his traveling companions on, on that road. And, and you remember how beginning with Moses, who is the author of this book, so essentially beginning right here in Genesis, Jesus interpreted the things in scripture concerning himself. And there is no doubt in my mind that in his exposition to these disciples on the road to Emmaus, Jesus lingered here in Genesis chapter 22 to show himself. And so I intend to to linger here as well. And in this second pass-through, I want to show you the matters of first importance. You know, uh, we, we focused a lot last week on... Abraham and on his obedience and on his faith but those are actually secondary things I want to focus your your hearts and your minds and your attention on matters of first importance which is to say I want to show you some glorious things about God and about our Savior the Lord Jesus Christ who are the main characters here and one of the big clues that God is the main character in this chapter is verse 14 where we find Abraham naming the place where these momentous events took place. This is kind of like the, the resolution of the whole uh, story. And the way it resolves, how it resolves on, on Abraham naming this place, helps us to understand that for Abraham, there was something even more momentous than the event. The most memorable thing, it seems to me, is what these events revealed to him about God. And that's why he calls this place Jehovah-Jireh. 
Jehovah Jireh, which means something like the Lord will provide or the Lord will see or perhaps better, the Lord will see to it. This then is the theme of the whole passage. It's all about the Lord, who, who the Lord is and what the Lord does. It's not so much about Abram's, Abraham's faith, although that's in there and it's wonderful. What's even more wonderful is that this is a story about the faithfulness of God. It's not so much about human obedience, it's more about divine providence. And I trust that this morning we will be able to behold our God, even as we have done so already through the reading of various scriptures and uh, through the singing of these songs. It, I, my heart is kind of already soaring because we've been in the sermon already for about an hour as my uh, brothers here, Matt and Glenn and uh, Matthias have, and, and Rob, they've been preaching this passage through the things that they have shared. But we'll continue to behold our God now in the time that we have remaining. And I want to show you three basic things about God that emerge from this passage. Number one, he is a God who shepherds. A God who shepherds. And then secondly, and we'll spend most of our time on this second point, to see that this is a God who supplies. And then finally, if time permits, we'll consider the God who swears. The God who shepherds, the God who supplies, the God who swears. First, though, the God who shepherds, and I think that this comes out nicely in uh, the sermon that Rob just preached to us in, in song. I, I won't, I'll try not to take too much of our time on this first point, but I do want to tease this out as an implication of God as Jehovah Jireh. You know the song, Jehovah Jireh. I'm sure it's playing in your head right now. We used to sing it here from time to time until some of you complained. <laughs> Apparently not all of you are fans of like 80s Jewish genre of music. But it does uh, tend to stick in one's mind, and so we have a good working definition right at our fingertips. Jehovah Jireh has everything to do with my provider. The fact that my God shall supply all my need. But in actual fact, it's not quite that simple. Jireh literally means something like See, it's related to the, the verb to see. In fact, it's related to the name that Hagar attributed to God back in chapter 16, where she called him El Roi, the God who sees. And, uh, and by the way, isn't this interesting that this is more evidence that, that what we've been discussing here in our study of Genesis is not so much about the characters as it is about God. And that suddenly, subtly, very subtly comes to the fore when we consider kind of the highlights of some of these passages. And they all seem to be revolving around the names of God and the character of God that is expressed through those names. Anyway, Jaira is related to the verb to see, like roi. And we get closest to the proper meaning when we combine these two concepts. So Jehovah Jaira means probably that God's 
sees and thus provides. Or as some translations render it, the God who sees to it. We use that language, don't we, of taking care of it, seeing to something. And even, even our English word, uh, to provide, provide, or providence, uh, even that word kind of marries these two ideas. The root word for provide is vide, or in the Latin, video, which means to see. And so pro-video means to see beforehand. So the, the, the idea here is that God both sees our needs and then meets our needs. That's what Jehovah Jireh means, essentially. And there are plenty of implications that flow from this wonderful, awesome fact. But the first point I want to point out is that we have a God who shepherds. That is, we have a God who leads us. We have a God who is there. I can't really get as low as Rob, but as Rob was teaching us, he's, he's there. We have a God who is eminently followable. We have a God who is the proper object of our faith. Now faith, if you want a good working definition for that, is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I guess I'm struck by the fact that the Lord has called Abraham here to do something drastic. And he's, he's done so without giving him a whole lot of details. There's lots of unknowns here. There's a lot of unseens here. We, so we read in verse 2, for example, that Abraham is commanded to take Isaac to the region of Moriah, not much more specific than that, and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that God will eventually show him. So we noted last week how that was very much reminiscent of Abraham, Abraham's initial call back in chapter 12, how the Lord God called him out of Ur. And he commanded him to go from his country and from his kindred and from his father's house to the land that I will show you. And you're prob if you're Abram, you're probably thinking, can I just get a little bit, can you give me some more information, just a little bit more details? Because we don't like this very much. We, we like to know what we're getting into. We like to know all of the details before we start out. We want to be in control. Our steps are, are very tentative when we have, say, a blindfold on, when we can't rely on our own sight. But this is exactly what the life of faith requires. When you're in the realm of faith, friends, you are in the realm of the unseen. The path of righteousness is often walked in the dark. It sometimes winds through the valley of the shadow of death. And the question, I suppose, is what is our comfort and our confidence there and then? When we're walking in the dark, when, we're, when things are just totally unseen, and here's the answer, it's that we have a shepherd who sees and who leads and who provides. You know, you can walk pretty confidently with a blindfold on if you're on someone's arm 
who can see? Or if that person's hand is on your back, kind of steering you out of harm's way towards the destination that, that is seen and known by them, even if it's not seen and known by you, you, you can still walk confidently. In this passage, we see Abraham resolutely taking steps towards an unknown destination with an unknown outcome. And his confidence and his faith are, are certainly astounding. They are certainly admirable. But for Abraham's faith to work, I want you to really understand this, there's got to be something even more significant and spectacular going on. That more significant and spectacular thing is the object of Abraham's faith, namely Jehovah-Jireh, the God who sees him and provides for him such that he lacks nothing. The good shepherd who is leading him, whose, whose staff and whose rod comfort him as, as he can kind of feel them leading him into what is unseen. And friends, I hope that today you will be comforted by the God who shepherds you. You're, you're likely walking a path right now, I know that some of you are, that are that's very dark, very cloudy. You, you can't see real well. You really have no idea the outcome. You don't know what's going to happen to your, your kids. It doesn't, it's not looking so promising. You, you don't know what's going to happen with your job, with your marriage, with your health. You do know that you are bound for the promised land. You believe that by faith. You have that confidence, but you have no earthly idea how you're getting there from here. And I'll tell you how you're getting there. Jehovah-Jireh. He sees, and he will see to it. He will lead you safely home. Thus, he is the only proper object for your faith. Anything else, anyone else, is just the blind leading the blind. Don't put your hope and your confidence in anything else. You'll end up in the pit. In Jehovah-Jireh, we have a God who shepherds us and brings us safely home. In the second place, in Jehovah-Jireh, we have a God who supplies. A God who supplies. My God shall supply all my need, we sing, or we sang. That's good, because if we are anything, we are needy. I know that's, that's an uncomfortable truth about us. It's, it's kind of like death it's a topic we like to avoid at all costs we like to pretend that we need nothing that we're all set thank you very much but if we are anything we are needy the name that abraham coins in verse 14 is an answer to the problem that is raised in verse 8 and this is how i know that this whole passage is connected around the idea of Jehovah-Jireh. It's all about him. So there's a pressing need uh, that Isaac draws attention to in verse 8. He asks, and I love his, his innocence here, he's like, Dad, uh, you said we're going to go to this mountain to worship and to offer a sacrifice. 
well, we've got the fire, we've, we've got your torch, and I can see that you're carrying this knife, and I'm carrying the wood here on my back, but there's one major thing that, that we're missing. I don't, I don't see it. We don't, we don't have a lamb. It's kind of like the main event, and, and we don't have it. We're, we're going to need a lamb for this offering. If God is to be worshipped, he requires the blood of a lamb to be spilt and the body of that lamb to be burnt. Where is it, Dad? Well, this is excruciating for, for us to hear, as it must have been for Abraham to, to hear and to say, because we know what Isaac doesn't quite yet know, which is that God has commanded his dad to sacrifice him as the burnt offering. But Abraham doesn't disclose those details yet. Instead, he gives this faith-filled response. This is his answer to his son. He says, Son, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering. And contrary to what you might think, this is not an evasive answer. This isn't Abraham getting off the hook or buying himself some more time until he can get enough nerve together to tell his son what is really going to go down. No. Abraham actually has put his finger right on the issue. However this is going to be resolved, Jehovah Jireh is going to have to act. That's Abraham's belief. Abraham knows that the Lord God has commanded him to do something that runs contrary to everything that he's promised him and begun to deliver on. You can't promise an offspring, a seed, and then command that that seed be, be burnt as an offering. This is, however this is going to resolve itself, the Lord is going to have to resolve it. And it's clear that Abraham doesn't know how all of this is going to get resolved. He has some ideas, and next week, Lord willing, we'll get to look at one of the ways that Abraham figured that the Lord might resolve this. And here's a hint. It has to do with resurrection. But no matter what the method, Abraham is convinced that it's the Lord's problem. If I can say that reverently. No matter what, no matter what, the Lord is going to have to provide. He's going to have to see to it. And so Abraham tells Isaac that Jehovah Jireh is going to handle this. He's going to see to it. He's going to take care of it. And I, I just want to pause to suggest to you that this is the formula for faith and for, for peace in, in your life. When it comes to your crazy and confusing Christian life, you'll, you really need to come to the realization that your life, your situation, your health, your kids, your finances, at the end of the day, they're the Lord's problems, if I can say that reverently. All of your scurrying around and attempting to supply for yourself what you think that you're going to need, all of your solutions, all of your provisions are actually only compounding the problem. 
and creating even more confusion. I'm here to, say, to suggest to you, leave it to the Lord. I'm not saying that there's no responsible thing that, that you ought to do in obedience. I'm saying, essentially, leave it to the Lord. He, he bids you do precisely that. He asks you to lay all of his burdens down at his feet. He, he calls upon you to cast all of your cares upon him, knowing that he cares for you. Say, say to yourself, sing it to yourself if you need to, Jehovah Jireh cares for me, for me, for me. Jehovah Jireh cares for me. Believe that whatever the situation, the Lord will see to it. Of course, Abraham's faith is well-placed. This is precisely what the Lord does, and not a moment too soon or too late. Look at verse 9 and 10. I love the drama of these verses. The Lord leads them all the way to the proper place for the sacrifice, as he said that he would do. Abraham builds the altar, and he arranges on it the wood, and then on the wood... He laid and bound his own son, his beloved son, his only son. And now look at verse 10. He's got the knife up in the air. And, and he seconds away from plunging it into his son's throat. He, he, it's as good as done. He, he's essentially obeyed because he's only a split second away from, from it. And... Now look at verse 10. You can hear the urgency in, in the voice of the angel from heaven saying, Abraham, Abraham, don't lay your hand on the boy or, or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And at this juncture the most pressing need is for a substitute for Isaac. Something to take his place atop that altar. Some, someone upon whom the knife can come down instead of the boy. Is there a provision for that need? Yes, the Lord has provided a lamb. Look at the miracle of providence in verse 13. Says Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. So nettles and briars and all those vines that you know very well living in this part of the world are all entangled all around the head and the horns of this ram. So it's so it's stuck, and therefore it's really easy for Abraham to catch it. And so we read in verse 14. Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. Instead of. Catch those words. Instead of. That is beautiful language. That is the language of substitution. And if you are a lover of the gospel, then that language is significant to you. And it's sweet to you. It's like taste, taking a bite of this really juicy, juicy fresh uh, just picked strawberry and, and the aroma and the taste of it, it it just takes you right back to your childhood in the case of this passage 
catching a whiff of substitution springs us forward in time. It transports us right to the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ, which is, I think, if you ask me, the perfect place to be in preparation for Good Friday. You realize, don't you, that your greatest need is not financial security or a steady job or a strong marriage or for your kids to properly launch? I I venture to guess that, that these kinds of things are the things that are first and foremost in our minds when we sing, my God shall supply all my need according to his riches and mercy. We're thinking about the bills, And he gives his angels charge over me. We're thinking about our kids. We want them to be protected. We want them to be successful. These temporal kinds of needs, they they loom large in our minds, but they are small things, friends. Small, trifling things as far as the Lord is concerned. And hear me properly on that. They pale in comparison to your greatest need. And your greatest need, and mine, is that we need a substitute. Do you realize that by nature, you are the object of God's wrath? Your sin has separated you from your Creator. And because He is holy and righteous and just, your sin and mine must be punished. You're you're not going to appreciate this unless you feel the, the prick of the knife of God's holy wrath right up against your throat, ready to be plunged. His hand raised against you, because that's the situation. Your, your judgment just about to fall. When? Just in the nick of time. Just at the right moment a substitute was found. This was one about whom it was announced when he arrived on the scene. Behold, the Lamb of God who taketh away the sins of the world. And here this one comes, carrying his own cross. The wood, if you will, for the sacrifice, strapped to his own back. And there's a crown of thorns twisted around his head as if he was caught in some thicket and now see if you can feel the bonds that that tied your hands and your feet see if you can feel those loosen as you're lifted up off of the altar and restored to your father while his true son his only son his beloved son with whom he is well pleased is fastened to the wood instead of me, this time with rusty nails. And so we sing, and on that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied, for every sin on him was laid. Here in the death of Christ, I live. We sing, bearing shame and scoffing rude, In my place, condemned, he stood, sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah. What a Savior. You talk about provision. You talk about supplying needs. Think about that. If anything is your problem, it's your sin. 
If I'm responsible for sorting anything out, it's my sin. But the glory of the gospel is that God has undertaken to make my sin his problem. He's the offended party. This is mind-blowing. He's the offended party, and yet he's the one that's determined to make it right. When it comes to my sin and my rebellion against him, Jehovah Jireh has determined to see to it. In Christ, he has provided for himself a lamb, a perfect, spotless lamb, slain before the foundation of the world, in the stead of sinners like you and me. Now, the real tragedy is that some of you will see all of this and hear all of this and still say, nah, I'm good. But you're not good. You're you're not good. You will die in your sins. And then you're on your own. You will have to pay for your own sins eternally. It will be your problem with no one to take your place. What are you looking for, friend? Who are you waiting for? He's given us His beloved Son. There is no other substitute offered for sinners. There is one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. There is no other lamb coming. Why would there be? He was the perfect one. I pray that today, right now, that you would come to the end of yourself, that you would repent of your sins and turn in faith to Christ, that you would cast yourself at the feet of this lamb who is also a lion. Embrace the only sacrifice for sin and receive full forgiveness and be received into the full fellowship of God. And brothers and sisters in Christ, behold your God. He is Jehovah Jireh. He's the God that supplies and who above all else has supplied the Lamb slain in your stead. Worship Him. Love Him. Serve Him. Trust Him. Well, there's more I want to show you. We might have to take a third pass through this at some point. Um, but I think, I think we ought to leave it there. That's enough for us to meditate on and glory in and seek by God's grace and by the power of the Holy Spirit to conform our lives to. May we go from this place worshiping Christ and trusting evermore in Jehovah Jireh. Amen? Amen.